0: seen that inside of zoom yeah yeah lauren uses it um i think she uses snap filter or the snapchat like filter thing yeah now zoom
1: has their own that you don't need any kind of plugins because the one that she was using it wasn't native to the app but the ones mm-hmm. that Zoom has is native to the app. So, I mean, you can groom your eyebrows, you can add lipstick, <laughs> all of that. And I'm like, you know what? That's actually yeah. pretty smart with everyone being remote these days and, you know, throwing on, you know, yoga pants to do a meeting and having a shirt.
0: Right. No, now everybody's just going to be shocked when they see, see, see each <laughs> other in person again. Like, Adam, you, all your hair is gone. What happened? And
1: just the filter the whole oh time. man, that that's like... so true. I never even thought about that before. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, you know, it's a little bit of of Zoom exhaustion over here. And so, anytime someone um, books a meeting, I have it automatically set up for phone calls versus Zoom. And mm-hmm. then sometimes when people will say, "Oh, do you mind if we Zoom instead?" and unless there's absolutely a reason we need to zoom i say no i'm not in a place to be on zoom <laughs> you know
0: yeah no I, I get that i i was just talking about that uh, this week which was like if it's a one on one call like let's just do a yeah. phone call you know we, you can put on you can put on headphones you can walk around you can be outside um if it's not freezing cold or raining and it's just so much it's it you don't need to stare at everybody exactly all the time. Like, it's just nice to be able to to have a little bit of um you know get the blood flowing a little bit when you're talking um so yeah like i i 100 agree um and so some of the like there's a sweet spot it seems like of like the size of of call that like video call helps for and it's like for me it's like you know maybe three to six people where it's kind of almost like the, you know, Amazon two pizza rule, but for mm-hmm. video calls, right? If it's more than pe- being able to share two pizzas and like the bigger ones, like that's no one has their camera on and there's no reason to, and you're just kind of doing other stuff in the background. And, mm-hmm. and then the one-on-one ones, unless you're recording a podcast, what are you, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah.
1: And thing? unless we're doing like a screen share where you have to show me something, You know, it doesn't really make any sense. I I think, uh, you know, and I know there's two schools to this. You know, some people, especially those with a sales background feel like, you know, the camera helps them build rapport and build trust and all this. I don't know if that's necessarily true. The camera does not build rapport and build trust for someone like me.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I don't I don't know if that I don't think that's one hundred percent true either. And I think it's, it becomes a crutch too when you're talking about things like, well, let me share a slide deck with you or something like that. I mean, I, you know, if you're doing that kind of stuff on the sales side of things, and you're like, well, I've got a, a pre predetermined deck that I'm going to show you. I'm zoning out pretty quickly in the whole conversation, anyways. Uh, I'm checking email. I'm doing other stuff. So if if you want my attention. Uh, and you want to have a conversation, you know, that's is probably best for it to be a phone call or at least, you know, looking to my eyes kind of situation. When you start bringing, doing screen shares, I'm really not going to be. I'm, it gives me such an excuse to zone exactly. out, on and, and it's a bummer. Uh, but you know, if you're giving me the excuse, I'm going to take. I'm going to take the excuse <laughs> exactly. Too, so.
1: Now, unless it was agreed upon that you're doing a screen share yeah. or, or you know, presentation, yeah. but. I mean, there's literally very few reasons for that to be happening for like an initial call.
0: No, well, that's the thing I don't. I've never gotten um, is people that uh, the the get to know you call is some. It has it includes a slide deck or includes a demo. Um, I mean, like you said, there's sometimes where the call got initiated because you wanted mm-hmm. a demo, but. If it's not, but even still, with that, it's almost like, what are we talking about? Like, like you've still got to understand why you know the pains and like how are you going to like just giving me the overview of your product without understanding why your product works for me, never is a valuable a valuable sales strategy for me. I mean, people do it, and I guess people are successful at it. I I just never even occurred to me to be a good thing to do, which is to say, like. I have built this great mousetrap. Let me just show it to you. And you imagine how it can be used for your needs. It it, just thinks, every every time I have made a sales call, it's been, you know, the first one's a discovery of learning who the person is, what the company is, what the pains and needs are. And then you can, you know, follow up with something that includes a much more uh, tailored pitch to their, you know, needs Mm -hmm. and services. And so it just... I always encourage that when I'm talking to, uh, uh companies and, and, and people. So that's my, that's, that's, my yeah, that's the way,
1: that's the way to do it though. That's the way to do it. And first of all, when you're trying to sell me something, I don't, this is what I tell the startups too. I don't want to think too hard, right? Like I have other things that I need to do today. So if you're trying to sell me a technology or something like you need to tell me how it fits in, like, come on, like, right. I, I can't, I, I can't you know you you can't make it too hard for you to take my money like make it very very easy for me to spend money with you
0: yeah it's funny for like someone like you and um, more and more like me as well who like is putting so much content online on a day-to-day basis it's not hard to kind of find out what you know something like if you're selling to Monique you can read Monique's twitter feed and her linkedin page and you could have a real long conversation with robot, minute, you have no idea, like, like just what, what has been posted online. And you can just be like, oh, I see that you did this and that. the other." And, and you can get to some points without, you know, and get get to understanding some of your pains pretty quickly. And, and it might even, you know, be the reason you reached out, right? Which is like, I, uh, I saw you said something on here where you're struggling with this, that, or the other thing. I, I thought there's something that we might be able to do to help you mm-hmm. struggle or something. Um, so there's when you're going after certain people or, or certain markets, there's certainly a, a lot of pre-qualifying you can do but without even talking to them. Absolutely. They, they happily share happily share it
1: online. Yeah, I mean that digital footprint is incredible. How much information we all have online is like is crazy. Um, and it doesn't disappear. And so um, (laughs) so I think if you don't find anything about people online in advance of talking to them, I think it just comes out of pure laziness because you can hire somebody on Fiverr and say, listen, I'll pay you five bucks. This is the name I'm looking for. Give me links to everything to do with this person. And they'll give that to you within a couple hours. Like it's either you're not resourceful, not creative enough or just plain lazy.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's true. You're, you're a big Fiverr person. Well,
1: Fiverr right? is okay. one of the resources. Uh-huh. I'm not a big Fiverr person. I have found some great freelancers between places like Fiverr and Upwork and all of that, and I've brought them on board, and so has many other um, companies that a lot of people don't know that they actually use resources from those platforms. Um, and the thing is, is that you it's, it's similar to... Um, you know, even if you didn't, you like the platform to me is really introduction and it helps me manage, you know, having them as a, as a, as a freelancer much, much easier, but I send them regular work. Like I have regulars, right. And they're like, Oh, this, so it makes things easy for them. Oh, this is just copy and paste. And I add this. Thanks. And so it's, 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 it's just one of those things that has over the years, um, allowed me to, um, bootstrap make a dollar out of 15 cent test things cheaply um, see what works what doesn't um, and then spend my time on like higher value things such as building relationships and and uh, you know sharing knowledge things that other people can't do for me
0: right isn't that funny though I if you're building a business on that kind of like gig economy mm-hmm. stuff there needs to be that next step with a lot of them which is what locks that relationship into that that you know service uh, because I <laughs> a couple of years ago we did used wag as a dog walking service for a while like we were at the time I think I maybe it was just when I just started working at Georgia Tech and and we were out of that house for a long time and it was the first time literally in my dog's entire life she hasn't come to work with me so I was yeah and so we, we started using we started using wag which is you know you, you pick up pick up service and p- pick the day and time and somebody comes in, and walks your dog and there's a lock box and they have the app so you can actually see where they're walking in the map and all this kind of stuff um so some of those tools are kind of nice but eventually you found the mm-hmm. one you like that's the problem with market and you're just like well let, let's just let's just take this off. That's on. the problem like, yeah, with marketplaces.
1: It, and we Adam, were you in the uh, the, the meeting today? We have with engage yeah. now. Uh, uh-huh. Jane knows this, but my um, my tech company started out as a marketplace. So I know a lot about building a marketplace. And exactly what you talk about is what happened with my first couple deals they went behind and contacted the owner of the property directly, even though they found them through my right. platform. And um, yeah. so I was telling Jane, Jane was my advisor back then. And I was telling Jane, I'm like, Oh, this business model doesn't work. So when I see other people try to do that business model, I'm like, yeah, they, they it doesn't work. Um, but I'm like, and I know cause I've spent my money on it and I've had advisors that's done something similar and all of that just lessons learned, but that's exactly what happens. However, low-cost things like Fiverr and all that, I have found that even just, even in Upwork, some people that is their full-time thing. Like that's how they pay their bills. But the majority, it's like something they kind of do on the side. So they are not actually, um, you know, stable. It's not like you could be like, oh yeah, you know, you need to hire someone for those things you need to be done. Um, Say, I remember this one, um, lady that I hired on Fiverr and it was just an experiment. I, I would hire like five people. I think I may have told you this before, but this is funny. I hired like five different salespeople to um, like just kind of do an introduction call for me, not try to sell, but just like kind of like SDR kind of work. Um, and so the first person on the list to call was actually me, but they didn't know it. And um, so I used <laughs> a different name, business owner, and I would be very rude and, you know, all of that and see how they handle it. And, um, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> so listen, I've been at this game for a while, so I understand how to do the <laughs> small business thing. And this one lady, she was just excellent. She was pleasant. She didn't let me throw her off. Um, she was excellent. And so even though they all went through that, they still never knew it was me that hired them. Right. Right. And so she was the one I continued to give more business to but she, I just told you she was fantastic, right? So of course, within 3 months she was no longer on Fiverr. She could make so much more money, you know, in in her life, but I think she was just testing it out to see. But that was somebody I should have nabbed from the platform and said, "Hey, you know, you want to do this full time." But again, that's that's what happens, right? So
0: Yeah, it I mean there's and they all, I think, will end up saying they have some technology that makes it better for the people to stay on the platform. Like, even the dog walk, the wag, it's like, oh, well, you can't, you know, these people are either, you know, walking your dog or they, they are coming into your house. There's, like, insurances and all this kind of stuff that are part of it that aren't part of the platform if you're if you're kind of going outside mm-hmm. of it. But, you know, people have been doing those type of things yeah. for years. You know, generations before exactly. without these technologies and, and the world keeps spinning. So like if you build trust and a rapport with somebody over a platform, then they just work themselves out of a, a job. And that's exactly, that's
1: <laughs> but it's so it's always so many people that, and I think that's how these platforms survive. So I, I use this as a case study many times when I'm talking with people about building a marketplace, because just like daily who was part of the Airbnb team Like that i always use them as an example and um just other ones it's like you know um fiverr or upwork or um um there's other ones too i can't remember the names of them but of course there's so many and so i tell them i'm like okay that's great you know upwork you're you're you know getting someone that charges and this is on the high end let's say 25 bucks an hour and you're paying them through the platform they do a good job so on and so forth And it's relatively low risk to bring them outside of the platform. Airbnb on the other hand, I have a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar property, it's insured, you know, a fire can kill, you know, can kill my entire investment, you know, by having someone being irresponsible. That's completely different. So I'm I'm at the point where and I get so many marketplace calls because I am the, the head of the retail tech. Um, you know, vertical. So I get a lot of marketplace calls. Oh, you know, selling consignment clothes. I'm thrifting and reselling online. You know, it's all these kind of, you know, you, you know, supply and demand marketplace things. But I always ask, like, like, what is the urgency? How frequently do they use it? And how how high value of a product is it? Is it that you know you're selling? Um, Cause they sometimes can do overkill with like, okay, you need to upload your ID. You need to, you know, have a picture of your driver's license and we need to see your business license for a $5, um, you know, gig on Fiverr. Like who's going to do that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you have to do that for Airbnb, right? You, it, it's less things you have to do for Airbnb, but I'm just saying you for the, um, you know, certain properties, they want to see your ID, you know, and those kind of things. And it helps build trust. You don't have to, but it helps build trust. But of course, if I'm staying in a half a million dollar home, beachfront, you know, and, and um, uh, Amelia Island, I'm okay with that, but I'm not for for right. a gig.
0: Yeah. 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 It's just, there's, I, I would, yeah, I, I would think that that would be a frustrating thing for you to have to frustrating is not the right word. Um, But the idea of having to always have conversations around marketplace startups would be a, uh, not my favorite thing to have a conversation oh around because it just seems like this is going to be very hard, and I don't think you've thought through it. This is, is kind of what I would think <laughs> I would say to most people who have done, who who want to do a marketplace, because yes, because of you know all the cliches we talked about, and the, you know, you got to get both sides on, and you know, like all these things are just so hard. I mean, I know that for um, uh, a couple years, uh, we, my company, uh, old company, built a. Several different social networks for certain things, action sports, and entrepreneurs in the southeast, and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it, it 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 happened at the you know very kind of boom of Facebook, and people are like, oh, this is a thing, and we can find our own niche for that and make it something. And you you eventually just had to quit tell people to no, you can't. Like there's the, like there's so much more work to it than you yeah. ever expect. And the like opportunity, or the the, co- the switching cost of leaving Facebook to go to this other thing, just f- to share your, you know, surfboard videos, <laughs> is going to be very difficult to get to get over, and um, like, you know, it's it, it, it at some point it becomes. Easy to say no when you're when you're selling a service because you can just price it to a point where they'll, people will say <laughs> say no for you, but when you're giving a con, when you're a consultant or a working for the ATDC and and you're you know the government pays for yeah has got to be to, to, to just always say. yeah <laughs> and the the advice being your dream might not be the best dream that you've ever had like let's let's work <laughs> on
1: well you know that. I, I have a different approach for those kind of companies that come in and are not portfolio companies. Um, and for them, I think that they, just like what you said, they haven't thought things all the way through yet and all that, and they need time. They need to still work on it and iterate it and iterate on it. And so I, I do my best to just mention some of those considerations that you and I both know when it comes to building a marketplace. And I tell them, consider that. Um, and if not anything else, if they already have some supply and demand on their platform, it'll make a nice little lifestyle business for them. But, you know, it's not appropriate as a portfolio company of ATDC where we have, you know, unicorn and founders, you know, that raise millions and millions of dollars to build a venture, you know, back scalable business. So I, I have to make that differentiation a lot.
0: Yeah, it is kind of funny how the 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 web has matured to a level now that there's like mom and pop marketplaces yep. out there, um, and and I guess I certainly I mean, that that is the case, uh, and it. But I think most people who get into that business don't have that as their vision. They don't. <laughs> as, as their they have too. the
1: Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> dreams.
0: What? Yeah. yeah, It's, it's tough.
1: tough, and but the thing is, but they don't realize. Is that they would be okay with, you know, a business? And I and I and I teach this when I teach entrepreneurship. I'm like, would you be okay with a business that you know may bring in thirty thousand a month? They're like, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> you know what I'm mean? saying? Like, you would actually be okay with that. So I don't understand. It should be no slight against. This is not a, you know, a venture scalable business. When people say this, say all right, it doesn't mean that the business can't make money and you can't um, build wealth or whatever it is, but not everyone can be, you know, Bill Gates and it's by design, right? That's, it's just by design. Mm-hmm. But I don't think too many people would turn down a business that makes, you know, 30, 60, 70,000 a month. Like if you turn your nose up to that, then uh, that's on you, but I'll take it.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that that is, um, I mean, it it is this idea of of everybody having to compare themselves to everybody else when it's like, you don't need to do that. This is, and you'll see those people more times than not the people with the 30 to $50,000 a month businesses are kind of like maybe having a cocktail at three o'clock in the afternoon sometimes, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and like, hanging out on longer vacations than you and like why is that because they've got this thing that's like a machine for them right now and they don't they're not trying to be absolutely and it's okay
1: for some reason people feel like (laughs) it's a bad thing when we tell them that oh no you know or when investors decline to invest in their business. And it's it's not, it's not a slight, like I, I have to say this all the time. Listen, someone else, in order to be venture back, this means that a lot of other people need to make money off of your business, not just you. Mm-hmm. So if it's just you, you need to rethink. And that's okay. If it's just you, like be, be selfish and build a business that really makes you successful.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, if if our our you know legion of fans of this podcast would be maybe surprised to hear that we oftentimes are talking about how it is, uh, like, venture back is not for you. Uh, it's it's got to be one of the themes of, of this. But I, I think it's I think it's such a valuable thing to talk about because, um, we, we've hit a level of maturity in technology that everything doesn't mm-hmm. need all these. Huge amount of money, and you can still make a very good living. And you know, you can. So I, I, I had just actually just found that I was looking for something else, and maybe we'll talk about what I was looking for here in a second. But I was looking for something else from like old work, and I found a picture of a guy who unfortunately passed away last year, but was the fav- my favorite um, the guy, my one of my favorite people I've ever met, honestly, but also the favorite my favorite uh, uh customer mm-hmm. of all time. Um, Uh, His name was Mark Schweizer, and he he ran a a company called St. James Music Press. And he had a service, it's still still around, sjmp.com if you're in this market, which was, he sold church music to choir directors, and you you paid, I think, $140 Mm -hmm. a year. And you got Mm 10,000 sheets of music, and it was just like this, and he made good money, I I won't put there, Numbers on Front Street, but he mm-hmm. made good money every year. Um, and he worked 10 exactly. hours. Exactly. And he, at the same time, was able to then write a um, a novel mm-hmm. a year um, where the hero was a choir director. <laughs> um, I love it. Which also, which he self published and made mm-hmm. good money on. Uh, and he was able to, like, write. Operas and do all this other stuff that he because he had all this extra time because he did all these things inside of a very small niche which was like Episcopal churches in America and Mm -hmm. England. Um, But he knew his market very well. He was able to give them what they needed. He outsourced most of the stuff to us. Honestly, exactly. He he did the things he was good at, and he paid. We made good money off him, but 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 more so, he just made the, the he just was. He just seemed like he had a very happy life. And, and, like, every time we visited him, he, like, he, you know, he had a very nice house and mm-hmm. land in western North Carolina. And he liked to just, like, his family was it was just all, like, this is how you use technology to you build go. a business that is a, the, the best. And, like, I, I, I couldn't imagine wanting to like like that was like almost a dream at that point I was like what are we doing with all this other like trying to grow and like we need to find a niche like a right. church oh. and, and like really churches is
1: it. a is a is a interesting thing um now you were um you were one of the you you actually got Casey Graham on to um do that webinar for you know our audience yeah. and that was fantastic but do you know that that's what casey's other company did so i i think i mentioned. so casey was in the church um business too um but what
0: well, you could tell he, he he seems more <laughs> southern baptist than cool.
1: <laughs> he's so smart and i appreciate like people like him is a lot, are like who i like to just kind of vibe with at a um you know, um at a what they what they call those things at a speakeasy place, you know, just kind of Uh, and and we used to have an underground tech meeting at a at different speakeasies around the town um for tech innovative. Yeah, it was it was a private one. I don't know how I got on the list, but I would show up and be the only girl. And I didn't care. (laughs) I didn't care. The guys were brilliant and we just talk about stuff. but, (laughs) But um we need to we need to link that back up um but matthew may of acuity acuity um was one of the 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 people who would put that together so i think everybody knows matt matt's the man but um casey used to sell the, the entire package that a church needed for like their sermon so it would be the sermon all of the stuff for kid planet you know how you hand out the cards and the postcards and the email marketing they needed, all of the graphics, all of that for each service each week. I mean, and the stuff is like, you know, I go to a really large church that gets into all that stuff, you know, and everything is Mm -hmm. just very laid out. And I did not realize until I had heard about Casey's business, I did not know churches bought that as packages. I thought that it was inspired by the pastor. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I mean, you have to be really, really large, from my understanding, um, to have that. Like there, there, what there is one in South Carolina, uh, a church called New Spring, which is you know campuses across the state, and um, they are. Uh, what was interesting to me about them was they had an entire like creative department. They had uh, you know creative director and video production and all this kind of stuff, and um, I. I was talking to their—I think he was their creative director—was his title one day, because I said, oh, cause it was just interested in me how much, like, really well-produced content they were putting out every every week, I guess. And his belief was um, that it was that that was something historically accurate to the church that had stopped being happening for a while. It's like if you look at all the great art and all the, you know writings and all this kind of stuff for a long time that it came out of churches that did that and it and came out of religion that did that and I'm his belief was he was carrying on that mm-hmm. tradition um which I never thought about I it it was, a, it was an interesting way to look at it, it, it and um uh so I, I think that there is there's that that creative streak of, of folks that are both um you know called to to a religious um kind of path but also want to be creative, yeah. and do interesting things, and then there's also those people that have that understand that from a business side of things, and, and are willing to go down that path as well. Uh, and you know, it's a churches are just as competitive of, of a industry as anything else. You know, they're you knowing how to like get to the right people and your your parishioners and get them engaged and informed is like mm-hmm. is work and and it it helps. That. I imagine uh, what what Casey was doing would uh, would have been, uh, a very, uh, powerful set of documents.
1: I yeah. Think. Incredible. Um, uh, come to find out, I think my church was one of his clients and, and, uh, okay. my church is huge. I mean, thousands of people and, uh, yeah. you really, the quality of this stuff. I mean, I, I mean, it's incredible. That's not something that you know, you can just throw together when you have that many people in the congregation. So I really feel like his business, and he may feel this way too, was certainly a ministry. It wasn't just the business
0: mm, Yeah, Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that that helps you for sure if you're in that field. It's, I, you don't find, at least my experience has been, you don't find many people um, selling into churches who are Also, don't have a a belief in (laughs) in what they're doing. I think, I think, I think people can smell Mm -hmm. it on you too if if you're coming in and just being uh, salesy on that side of things. Um, And that was like, you know, Mark's one of Mark's best attributes on that side. It was he was a choir director for years and years and years Mm -hmm. before that. He he, everybody worked with him and knew him, and he built this community around like just a cult of personality. And um and so when he started offering things, you're like, yeah. And also, I mean the the funny kind of business of it is, um, uh, church music used to be this thing where before computers became a thing, you would buy sheet, literally sheets of music. And if you had a 50 person choir and you wanted to sing a new song, you would have to buy 50 sheets of music. So it might be a dollar a sheet, so 50 bucks mm-hmm. for a new song. Um, and then like the photocopier became popular in churches and they would buy one sheet and they'd copy it 50 times but that was stealing. That was one of the 10 commandments they were breaking. And, um, and the story I always was told was a a big church here in Atlanta got raided by the FBI for copyright infringement. Then then all the churches fell in line and said, Oh, we never thought that this was stealing, but that makes sense. Yes, we should, we should all (laughs) follow, follow. And, um, and so that's where mark came in and he started selling cd roms to people so his his first thing was i'll sell you a cd rom once a year and he came to us to digitize that into a you know or web, web webify it um but uh yeah so i, I th- that whole area of the world is a really um interesting um kind of business that if you're not in it you you would never know what it could i happen. love
1: it uh, and I, and I'm actually, um, inspired by, you know, stories like that. Um, but one of the things I, I just was speaking to my entrepreneurship students yesterday, and this is why this is fresh is I told them it actually does. if you take as much effort to build a small business as it does a large business, but the payoff in the end, is different it's, it's you know it's like a 100x difference and it's nothing wrong with wanting to, with doing a small business because it is some of the things you don't have to stretch as much out of your comfort zone if you you stick with the small business side of things but i just feel like a lot of people don't know the difference and that there are options you know Um, Besides, you know, I'm going to open a dry cleaners, you know, or, um, you know, a restaurant or, hey, how about you be a menu designer? How about you design, um, you know, or or provide things that restaurants need, you know, build a scalable business versus being a restaurant owner and having that headache. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah,
0: especially those businesses that are required to be open you know, at certain, th- that kind of stuff is, I mean, that's, it's just, you You never take a vacation if you're a a, a, a laundry
1: There you, you know,
0: mat or, or a single, single restaurant. It's just like, it is, you're consistently and constantly on, on call to be on, mm-hmm. in the business. And you're
1: creating a job for and, yourself. That's um, really what you're doing. Creating a job for you.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I would, I, I would never, I would never, I would never want to do it. And I would never encourage people to do it. But I'm glad that they do it. I mean, those those things need they to do exist. need to so exist. They're, they're, it's it's a calling for mm-hmm. a lot of people, and those are often ones that you see are either uh, family run, so there's like generations of people that just kind of want to keep keep that mm-hmm. going, or you know, um, immigrant run, which is you know people trying to get a foot up in a, in a way that they can't do it in you know more traditional Mm -hmm. or more white collar ways and so those are all like just Mm -hmm. to be praised but (laughs) if I if I were there's a reason there's not like an incubator for you know that kind of stuff because (laughs) it's it's not a 10x return you you'd
1: be surprised how many calls I get each year since I've been um you know being a consultant in this um about different cities Um, universities and all of that that actually want to create incubators that's in that space and and I had a call this week this week and they wanted to and it's actually with Georgia Tech folks and I had to tell them all the pitfalls of why that doesn't work Um, and that there are other resources for small businesses that are free to them we just need to get those resources up on with the new way of doing things. Cause a lot of them are very old school. And so, you know, like the SBDC and SBA related things, they don't talk about business model canvas and simplifying things and all that, you know? And so it's just, it's awful for small business owners because they don't get the same information that the ones that are technology focused get. And so um, that's why, um, you know, some of these business owners are like i'm not going to the sbdc can i just come talk to you at atdc <laughs> like you can't become a portfolio company but here's i have open office hours on monday like you know and it's just like they need that info uh but it's not profitable
0: yeah and it's and it's 25 a quarter to exactly i'm like just, just become an
1: educator
0: early early classes exactly. just do it <laughs> Do that. Read the E Myth Revisited, and um, you're really going to be getting <laughs> exactly. some. Exactly, I would tell you.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah. Even when yeah. it comes to like franchises, so um, a lot of people don't realize how strict Chick Fil A is, and like who they approve to get franchises. And it's a lot of work, and it's a lot to be proud of. You know, the culture. Um, the foundation Chick-fil-A stands on and all of that. But I think a lot of people um, don't realize that basically you're buying yourself a job. And also the pay is not that not that and I can't say it's not that great. I think I'm speaking from a technology engineering, you know, so it could it could sound a little crazy to other people, but the average owner makes about 150 to 175 a year at a Chick-fil-A location.
0: And that is, you're limited you to one location. You can only have
1: one location. That. Yes, sir. Yeah. So all of that right. work for 175,000, like I.
0: How popular uh-huh. all of them are, like lines like out the door mm-hmm. all the time. That's wild. I, I would have not known that. That that does seem. Um, yeah, because that's how most of, at least I have, as I understand it, how most of the. um franchisees make their money as they have you know five McDonald's. right you can and,
1: do that with mcdonald's of, not like, chick-fil-a and yeah. even with subway so um subway is really bad like on the high end you might make 40 000 to forty-five thousand per location but you're still giving yourself a job that is highly stressful and you know um you have a lot of you know a lot of debt and things you know to, that goes into that I just, I just try to tell people about just different options, just different options to make money. Maybe 40,000 is great to someone who couldn't make 40,000 another way. And if that's the case, I'm I'm more than happy to share information on, you know, opening a subway. That's cool. Or connecting you with franchise folks. Mm -hmm. But I just need you to know this is the money. I'm one of those people that's like always trying to tell people about the money. Oh, you're hiring a social media manager. Okay. This is how much it costs. You know, like, oh, this is how much to expect, you know, a quote for, um, so yeah, it's just one of those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 remember in high school, um, somebody who was a Wendy's franchiser, you come in and in talking and it, it seemed so crazy for me to imagine people doing that at the time at 16 or 17, I was like, why would you want to do this? It just seemed like so it much is. work. Um, and 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 it, for me, cuts out at least a chunk of the reason you want to do things, which is like mm-hmm. the creativity that mm-hmm. you're allowed to have. Like you can have like managerial creativity and those type of, but you're not like changing the nope, menu around. you can't. There. Like they will, they'll snap yeah. that <laughs> That, that license mm-hmm. away from you real quick if you do that kind of stuff and or you you know i, I think it was a franchisee who um uh, created or suggested the egg McMuffin as a as a menu item and you know they did not get the money back from that really? you know that's one of like mcdonald's greatest in, inventions uh, and And that person probably got like a a, a Christmas <laughs> ham or something for, for that. Like it like like there's no upside potential in your creativity. On but that
1: that's the either, thing. So. It's no but. different than corporate. That's why I have to explain. that's why I, I'm glad we have this conversation because it really is no different than just going to corporate America and working a job. So I, I talked about um, um in in the past, and I do talk about quite often how in corporate America, um, you know, when you sign up, especially for for us engineers, and I'm sure in other jobs, when you sign the um, employment agreement, you all you of course you sign non-disclosure and all that, but you also sign paperwork that says that anything you you know create, any invention is theirs. It's not yours. Yeah. But then there are other companies. That, it's a Fortune. Well, now they used to be a Fortune 5 company. Now they're probably a Fortune 20 company. Okay, I'm not going to tell you the company. But what they do is. They will, for for us engineers and stuff, if you come up with an invention and the patent goes through for it, they give you, uh, um, I think it's 5,000 or 8,000 for each patent. But that patent in turn, because of this, this business, what they do makes them billions, billions. I mean, it's like, but so again, back to the whole restaurant thing, right? I mean, you might as well you know went and worked for corporate and made your forty or fifty thousand owning this McDonald's or <laughs> whatever it is, and you know at least they would have gave you eight grand and actually your name doesn't even go on a patent, it's theirs, <laughs> so it's the same thing
0: uh, yeah yeah that i I mean, I try to look at the other side of that when I can to kind of like there is something to be said for like. What are you? What are you going to do with a patent if you can't commercialize it? If you can't create the thing? If you can't get the customers? Like it doesn't, like help, it you doesn't well. help you much as a right. as, as an individual. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be some level of better like sharing of the you know the intellectual property or the the rewards for that. Um, but I don't know. I, Why would I, they? it would be? <laughs> yeah, it would. It it would it would be tough for me. Is it? To, to be able to do that kind of st- to work in that kind of environment where like my goal was to make a billion dollars for a corporation and I got a uh, you know oh I have a I, $1,
1: I, $1, I have a few friends that literally for for this one company alone they had 16 patents 16 But they're like, oh, you know, the five thousand—that's great—and then we just went on vacation, and you know, whatever. And I'm like, wow, you know how much money, man. (laughs) But you don't have. So again, this is this is where I think people get it twisted, and I don't want to feed into that. You know how people think, um, like you may hire someone, and like I could do that, you know. I don't I don't want people to see that to to think that way when we're talking about patents within businesses. Okay, yeah, they pay 5,000 for the patents, but guess what? This company has infrastructure, teams, multinational, they have IP to support like they have all of this. There's really nothing you could actually do with that patent yourself. So you know, I, I don't want people to be like, "Well, I could just get the patent. I could just do it myself." And it's like, no, you don't. They have all of the infrastructure right. to make things happen. You don't. Right.
0: And they they helped with the creation of it too. If you
1: it, use their I mean, computer, could you?
0: Could you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, could you have done it as a individual in your own garage? I mean, if you can, then you can, and you can sell you can sell those. To that company for a bigger return, but you know, it's oftentimes you're working with a team of people to do it anyways, and they're all pulling in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't like the idea of always, you know, blaming the company as being a big evil thing because I think they're also, you know, very valuable. And and I do think that the thing that is, like, you know, creating things is addictive, right? Like being able to do something new and. Oh, and, yeah. and getting feedback mm-hmm. on that and then doing something else. And that's, but if you do that in a vacuum, if you do that without mm-hmm. anybody like using it or seeing it or re- interacting with it, whatever the it is, then you're also get worn down and it, 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 it can, it can have the reverse effect of being mm-hmm. addictive. It can just be like, why am I doing all this? No, no one cares. No one, no one cares. It's like, I should just watch TV. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that is something that big companies yeah. allow at least. Uh, they can at least put eyeballs. And you can at least then be like, oh, these idiots. That th- th- right. Th- and, and, but but you can at least say that I saw it. Like, there was people there and all that kind of stuff. Like, I it's not my it's not how I would want to do it, but um, I don't as much begrudge people or, honestly, the business on that side of things because it is just, you know, it's difficult um, to, like, the idea of eyeballs is, like, one of the more important things that mm-hmm. people don't, Mm -hmm. think about when they're dreaming out exactly and then we have an
1: appreciation for building a company so we know how hard it is to build a company so if Mm -hmm. a company that has managed to make themselves a fortune 20 company over you know 100 years I have a lot of respect for that I know what it takes to do my little tech startup and it was crazy and um (laughs) Exactly. And even now with managing my service businesses, I've kind of got that got down to a science, but it's still not, you know, it's nowhere near what that fortune 20 company, you know, what they do. So I have we you and I have an appreciation for building a company having done it ourselves and continue to do things ourselves. But you just mentioned something that's so important. He was like, you know, creating a product is very creating products is addicting. Yeah, who doesn't love to create? But I have to also tell people too. There's a difference between having a product and having a company. Some people have a lot Mm. of products and things, but it's more to having a company than just having a product. So sometimes you just have a product, but you do not have a company.
0: Right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And you're not, and and that's you know that's its own set of addictions and buildings and like you know building out a Mm -hmm. team and all, all, all those things are. And those are addictive and can be fun and 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 part of the, the the game as well but um you know you also have to figure out what i i i just have a soft spot in my heart for like the garage yeah. inventor who can then find places to to get that stuff and make money mm. off of it and doesn't have to worry about um you know corporate structures and Quarterly meetings and earnings calls and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Those people seem to have. <laughs> I mean, there's there's fewer of those people in the world these days, but it seems there like are. Them. I
1: actually tried to bring one into ATDC. <laughs> oh, yeah. I admired him so much, so I, I I just tell you how I met him. I had um, a deep freezer that I was selling. I don't know why I had all, it's just, it's too much when you have a big house. So I I downsized (laughs) because it was just, I just, it it was just too much. I I didn't need all that. And so I downsized. And so we had all this extra stuff. And so I had a, um, a deep freezer that was upright, not like the little ones, everything just, when you have a big house, everything Mm. is big. The furniture is big, you know? And so uh, yeah, yeah, it was just (laughs) ridiculous. And so we had it in the garage and I, and I, and I said, well, um, you know, let's just sell it on, on Facebook. And I don't care who pays for it, but I don't want to see it go to a junkyard. It still works. Someone can use it. And this guy reached out and said, Hey, is that still available? i come pick it up. And I was like, yeah, sure. And when he came over, I asked him, I said, what are you going to use this? He's like, oh, I need it for my business. So I said, what are you going to use this freezer for? And he said, well, I actually um, buy freezers cheap and I leave them at like, Um, commercial kitchens and stuff and basically he helps like you know how nowadays we have ghost kitchens where where um people you know basically share kitchens well anyways he gives them the the freezers to so that things are individually stored by company Um, and then he also uses them for um like international relief around the world so when disasters happen and they need refrigeration and stuff like that. Um, they contact him and they he has all of these freezers and things that he 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 gives to them, and and that's that's his business.
0: Well, gives, How no, no, money, he,
1: he they pay for it, he... yeah, they pay for it. They basically oh, okay, rent okay, them, uh, okay. uh-huh. um, from him, and w- so he drops them off, he picks them up, um, and th- he has another like part of his um, his business is like delivery, so he'll pick up what they need to put in the freezer, put it there, you know, mm. um. And he has right. he has a nice nice little business, okay. Um, but again, it's hard work. You know, he came and his guy came and he loaded up this freezer on his pickup truck and all that. Like, you know, that's that's part of what what you do in a small business. You know, there is some some physical labor, but it's a very lucrative business for him. He at the point, I asked him how many did he have out in the field, um, and I think he had like three hundred and fifty of them.
0: Wow, you know the uh, the where where that becomes a real business, that um, is when you get paid to pick up the free. Right. Ticket. Um, I I had a f- friend whose whose grandfather made a ton of money in his life, in the pallet business, where he would get paid to pick up pallets at at job sites, and then he would then he, people would pay him to buy the pallets on the other end of things. So he made it on both oh, sides, smart. on both the pickup and the drop off. And it was just like, I was like, I spent, once I heard that, I can't tell you how many, how long I spent thinking <laughs> of other things where you could get paid on both sides of the, the, the I'm other.
1: actively thinking of things right now. I don't know if you've seen my, tw- my tweet about it. I'm actively thinking of things right now. I met this guy on Twitter that what he does is um, he buys storage units, you know, storage facilities, I'm not a fan of the business model. It's too much work and not enough money, but that again, that's coming from someone who's an engineer. So I I don't want to downplay, you know, someone else saying, you know, this, this, um, the storage unit facility makes me 6,000 a month, you know, and that was one, his first property was 6,000 a month. And you know, maybe that works for him, but that, that doesn't work for, for me. And I, um, have been, um, reading and learning from some of his content, like his mindset behind different things and the decisions he's making as he buys more stores facilities. And it's stressing him out right now. Like it's it's completely stressing him out because with that kind of business model, like you got to take out a mortgage, you need at least 20 to 30% down. Um, You know, one of the small ones, like out in the middle of nowhere will cost you about, a Half a million dollars, you know. Um, a half I personally can't see putting a, a half a million dollar mortgage on something that is going to the cash flow is six thousand a month.
0: Yeah, well, the, you should. Uh, I, I, there was a guy, a, a company that came on one of our road trips. Um, the company's called MyPort, yeah, I know who they are, and mm-hmm. what they did. Yeah, so they. They put technology exactly. To that, so, which I, thought was interesting. I would be thinking that so they,
1: way.
0: Th- they would come. They come and pick up your mm-hmm. stuff, take it to some place out in the you know far mm-hmm. away from the city, um, and they would take mm-hmm. pictures of everything. I think they still they, they, they are still doing all this. They take pictures of all your your things that you want stored, and um, so they would charge. In city storage rates, or they do charge in storage city rates, but have their real estate mm-hmm. out of the city, and you can open up your phone when you want your couch back, and you can you can say bring me just mm-hmm. the couch back. They go and they've got to move some things around to grab the couch, but then they do that, and then you're good to go. And I thought that was a very smart kind of way to bring technology to to an old an old exactly. business model. So I I I I, I that was I don't know. I don't know if he's making more than six thousand dollars. I it was <laughs> <laughs> But I mean
1: that that's not even taking out expenses and it's not much to run a facility like that, but you don't get a property manager, right? So if a tree falls down, if somebody's lock is is broken or or, or um door is stuck or if there's rodents or if there's you know, like you are taking care of and managing, um, you know, getting things taken care of. And for me, this is why I like to talk numbers and tell people realistically um, how how different businesses like with the with the financial returns are or, um, you know, the business model is for me, 6000 um, and that's not even including taking out expenses is not enough, but for Someone who like, hey, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to just have a business and then just grow from there. You know, it may be a good place to start.
0: And you get to do a auction every once in a while. Exactly. That you bill and you get to
1: <laughs> That's where you're making maybe money. <laughs> find a,
0: like, yeah, you find a Picasso in there. Or something <laughs> like
1: that. It's crazy because it actually ran through my mind one day because I have a storage facility again because I, I downsized and I, I can't quite let everything be be sold or given to charity just yet. So I got a little one and while doing it, I was like, oh man, this is this is actually pretty sweet. And then when I ran the numbers I was <laughs> like, no, nope, won't work for me.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to our podcast. To subscribe or listen to our back catalog, go to aflyonthecall.com.